Good morning. My name is uh, Lynette and uh, it's a privilege of mine to be with you again today. I was here in April on uh, Easter Sunday and uh, it's just lovely to be with you. I've had a, a long friendship with Pastor Argus and this church. It goes back uh, into the 1990s when you started the church, Pastor Argus. And uh, we give thanks to God for all that he has done through this church for his kingdom. The message this morning is about leadership, God's way. Some of you have already heard this message this morning. So uh, I'm going to pray in a minute that if you've already heard it, that God will still have a fresh word for you. And I mentioned in the first service this morning that the, as I entered the church here, the Lord gave me this verse from Zechariah 4, verse 6. It hadn't come up in my preparation, but as I came in here, this is what that verse says. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that is one of the aspects of leadership that is really, really important. Leadership God's way, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Draw us around your word. I pray that we will hear from you. I pray that my words will be acceptable to you, O God. But I pray, above all, that the words that you have, Jesus, for this church and for each person here will be the words that remain. Thank you, God. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Amen. When I was uh, preparing my sermon for today, I looked at my bookshelves and there are many books there on leadership. A couple, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders, The Leadership Wisdom of Jesus, Servant Leadership. And I know that if you were to go into Pastor Argus's study here. He has a very extensive library and there would be many books on leadership. There is such a focus on leaders today in the media. Political leaders, military leaders, sporting leaders, business leaders, leaders in education. We all have an idea of what we think a good leader should be. And we use the model that we have in our minds to judge whether we think a leader is good or not. If you are a leader here in this church or a leader in your work, you may have a role model that you aspire to. So I want you to think about what makes a good leader. Is there a leader whom you look up to and admire? What is it about them that captures your attention? 
Now, the focus of my message today is about the story of King Saul, the first king of Israel. But I want above all for the message to point to Jesus. He is the ultimate leader. And if you are not a leader and don't have a leadership role, there will be aspects that you can hear and relate to. And it might be that today God places in your heart a call to leadership or he may be preparing you for leadership that is ahead, maybe in your workplace or in the church. First, let's do a quick recap of some of the themes that you've already heard as you have worked through the book of 1 Samuel. There was Samuel's God-centred leadership. Samuel was very significant in the history of Israel as a prophet and priest and judge. And he was instrumental in the appointing of Israel's first two kings, King Saul and King David. Israel had rejected God's kingship over them. They wanted a king because they saw the nations around them who had kings, who could lead them in battle when there are wars and conflicts. They wanted a king. God didn't want them to have a king. God wanted the people of Israel, his people, to trust him as their king. And whether we have a leadership role or not, God leads all of us to fulfil his plans in our lives. And you would have heard about the lost donkeys, a, a rather strange story. But God used that as part of his plan to lead Saul to Samuel. <clears throat> now, in the previous chapter to the one that we heard read before, chapter 10, Saul has been anointed as king by Samuel. He's rather reluctant. He doesn't tell his uncle that he's been appointed king. At one stage, he's hiding among some baggage. And, but the chapter ends with Saul having a group of men around him. And the Bible says they were men whose hearts God had touched. But there's a note of dissent there as well because there were some of the men complaining about whether Saul could save them. And so we come to Saul's early leadership. Now, the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead was surrounded by the enemy forces, the army of King Nahash. He was a neighbouring king, very powerful, very cruel, because when he defeated any enemies, he would gouge out their right eye. And so there were Israelites around that didn't have their right eye. And the Israelites in Jabesh knew this and were very afraid. So they wanted to make a peace treaty with King Nahash. And uh, he said, I'll give you seven days to find someone to help you. Otherwise, I will gouge out your right eye. And so the elders from Jabesh went to find King Saul. Saul had a powerful presence. 
He was physically tall and strong. And they believed that if anyone could save them, it would be Saul. He had been ploughing his fields, came uh, back to his town and saw people in distress and wanted to know what was the matter. When he heard about King Nahash's threat to gouge out the right eyes of the people of Jabesh, the Bible says, Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he became very angry. Now, he used his anger to mobilise an army of 330,000 men and promised that he would save the town of Jabesh from King Nahash. So he sent messengers to say to King Nahash, we will surrender to you tomorrow at midday. Remember that point as part of Saul's strategy. And so the campaign began. Saul led his 330,000 warriors towards Jabesh through the night. He divided them into three companies and sent each one a different way to surround King Nahash's army. Now, he had sent messengers to tell Nahash that Jabesh would surrender by midday. So Nahash's army is there. Saul's warriors in three companies are surrounding them, 330,000. And at sunrise, they attacked. It was a surprise. The army was not ready for them. And they slaughtered King Nahash's army to the extent that anyone that survived ran off. And the town of Jabesh Gilead and its citizens were saved. Saul has an interesting response when there are people who say, Bring the men who complained that Saul could not save us. Bring them here and we will kill them. Saul said, No one will be put to death today. For this is the day the Lord rescued Israel. This is the day the Lord rescued Israel. Saul did not claim the glory on that day. And the passage ends with Samuel calling the people to Gilgal, which was an important sacred place where they affirmed Saul's kingship again, offered sacrifices to the Lord and celebrated So that's the story of Saul's early leadership. What does it teach us about being a good leader? Now, my comments are appropriate to people in the church who have a leadership role. And also, if you are a leader in your work situation or a leader in your family. As a Christian, you can exercise godly leadership in your work situation, even if it is not a specifically Christian workplace, you can still exercise godly leadership. And that may be the very reason why God has you there as a leader. Billy Graham, world-renowned evangelist, said, 
Leadership is about empowering those around you, not forcing your vision on them. And we heard in the story of Saul how he inspired and mobilised an army of 330,000 to follow his directions. Every one of them had to follow his directions or they would not be saved. He defeated King Nahash and the Ammonites, but not on his own. He trusted his warriors to follow his instructions. He empowered them. So firstly, good leaders are empowering. They work with others. They encourage others. They bring out the best in them. They give credit to others. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Empowering and equipping God's people is the task of leadership. Leadership is not a solo exercise. Saul could not save the town of Jabesh by himself. No matter how powerful he might have seemed. Secondly, good leaders are responsive. Saul was responsive to his people. He saw their distress and he listened to them. And he responded to God's call to lead his people. It was God's call. He felt their fear of what King Nahash threatened to do with them. And he was responsive to God. The Bible says the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he became very angry. He was angry at what he saw King Nahash had done to the Israelite people. He saw some of the people without their right eyes. And he was angry that the people of Jabesh were so fearful about this threat that hung over them. And so the Spirit motivated him and gave him power to do the task he was assigned to do. A leader needs to understand their people and be responsive. People will give their best when they know someone is interested in them, someone will listen to them. There's a saying that goes, we have been given one mouth and two ears. I wonder why. It emphasises the importance of listening and responding. Listening and responding to God and listening and responding to people. Being responsive means being able to assess a situation. Listen to the Spirit of God guiding you about what is wise action. Because the Holy Spirit will give insight and discernment that comes from nowhere else to enable a leader to respond appropriately to the situation before them. Now, it's interesting to note that in ancient times, the Spirit of God would come powerfully upon people at specific times to enable them to do a particular task, as it did with Saul. 
as Christian believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us at all times. The Holy Spirit will guide you in responding to people and situations. The Holy Spirit will equip you in your leadership if you trust and rely on God and listen. Thirdly, good leaders are strategic. Energised by the anger that he felt, Saul diverted his anger into enacting a strategy. A strategy that would result in victory. It, in, this strategy involved planning, diverting the enemy with a false hope, organising his troops, and then a surprise attack which resulted in victory and the defeat of the enemy. That was Paul's strategy. He didn't just decide, I'll go there and wipe out King Nahash's army. He had a plan to do it. And he went through it step by step. And the people recognised Saul's leadership, his courage, and affirmed him as their king. An important aspect of being a strategic leader, and this is actually what Saul did, was to have a balcony view, to get up off the ground floor onto the balcony to be able to see the whole picture, to see the whole picture. Imagine that you are at an orchestral concert. You could sit in the stalls and you might, you'll see the conductor, you'll see the front row of musicians can picture them, the, the violins and the strings and the woodwinds and the brass and the percussion. And But if you go up on the balcony, you'll see the whole lot, as I can see all of you today, uh, from the balcony. And a leader needs that view at times to have the whole picture. And sometimes you might wonder why a leader does a particular thing or wants a particular thing done. And you can't see the reason why. But the leader has been on the balcony and can see the whole picture and sees what needs to be done. Fourthly, good leaders rely on God and trust in him. Saul reminded the Israelites that this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Saul acknowledged God and gave the glory to him. And so the character of a leader is a priority. Character and competence are important. A leader might be very competent, but without character, things can fall apart. Does the leader have God at the centre of their life? Does the leader live a life of integrity? So good leaders are empowering they are responsive, they are strategic, and they rely on God. Another important aspect of leadership is about being accountable. How does a leader stay accountable? Firstly, being accountable to God. People will not see you when you are on your own. They will not see you in your times of prayer. They will not see you when you are soaking in the word of God, but they will see the fruit of it. They will see the fruit of it. 
You cannot lead where you will not go. You cannot lead people to Christ unless you are living in the presence of Christ every day. Your first accountability is to God, whether you are a leader or not. First accountability to God. Then being accountable to yourself. How can you be accountable to yourself? It means taking responsibility for your actions. Being able to say sorry when you actually make a mistake, and leaders do. No one is perfect. Being able to say sorry. Being accountable to yourself is your personal commitment to your values, fulfilling your promises. And it comes from the inside out, from your time with the Lord that then influences the way you act and behave. God has high expectations of those to whom he entrusts leadership in the church. And we need as church leaders to hold ourselves to a high standard. Then be accountable to your team. This is about mutual accountability. Team members are accountable to their leader, but the leader is also accountable to the team for their development, their growth, their nurture, their care. And then the fourth one I want to mention is that if you are married and if you are a leader, you are accountable to your family. You are responsible to ensure that your family is having enough of your energy, your presence and your time. Leadership in the church can consume every hour if you allow it to. So this is not about not working hard. We do work hard in leadership. But you must be sure to safeguard your marriage and your family and not give them your leftover time when you are exhausted. So, if you are a church member or a member of a ministry team here, what responsibility do you have to your leaders? Firstly, pray for your leaders. Leadership has times of challenge and criticism and loneliness and isolation. And so it is really important that you hold your leaders in prayer. And if you don't agree with something, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a way and a means of talking to your leader. Don't go and talk to someone else about your leader. Go and talk to your leader. And so that's why it's important for leaders to listen also to the people who come to you. Secondly, honour your leaders. Encourage them for who they are and what they are doing. Hebrews 13, 17, uh, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Now, honouring your leaders is not about putting them on a pedestal because pedestals can crash and break. It's not about glorifying them so that they become filled with spiritual pride. 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work and live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. These words give us a healthy perspective on leadership. And then encourage your leaders. This is about mutual encouragement. The leader encouraging the team, people praying for the leader. Encouragement is a wonderful gift. Offer to help, come alongside and be kind. Be kind to your leaders. Leaders, be kind to the people who are doing the work with you. Whether you are in leadership or not, in the church or workplace, we are all called to live a life where we are led, each one of us, led by the Spirit. And this means that we need to dwell in Jesus. Jesus had some really important words to say about this. John 15 tells us that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And he said, remain in me and I remain in you. Unless a branch is connected to the vine, it cannot produce fruit. You cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The only fruit that counts for the kingdom of God is the fruit produced from Jesus' life in you. Apart from him, you can do nothing. It's necessary for leaders to be so entwined with Jesus, like the branches on a vine, so that his life and his spirit flows through us. Pete Scazzero, in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says, our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. I remember a leader saying to me, Don Smith, a good friend of this church, a very good friend and an encourager of Pastor Argus and of me. So he said this to me and it would be going back probably 30 years Never lose the deep abiding joy of the presence of Christ in your life. I have never forgotten it. That deep abiding joy of the presence of Christ, we all need it. Joy is a fruit of the spirit within. And then we serve like Jesus. We dwell in Jesus and we serve like Jesus. Jesus said this about leadership. 
it really forces us to rethink our ideas of leadership that might be modelled on the world. Jesus said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You are a servant leader when you focus on the needs of others. It means having a heart for service, a heart to minister to others. And Jesus gave us a wonderful example of servant leadership when he took the basin of water and a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. He chose to serve. He didn't serve in a way that was like a doormat for people to walk over, but rather he considered others' needs before his own. And in coming to our earth as a saviour, he considered the needs of the world, the needs of each one of us for salvation. And there was only one way that that would happen and it would take the cross. King Jesus on the cross. And therefore God has exalted him in heaven and one day every knee will bow before him and confess that Jesus is Lord. Then as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, he is to have first place. He has a purpose for each one of you and a purpose for this church. Listen to the Spirit guiding you, having faith that as you place your trust in Jesus, he will see you through. But it will be his way, in his time and by his grace. His way, his time, his grace. Let me just sum up as we draw the message to an end. Saul began so well as a leader. Later on in 1 Samuel, you will see that he ended badly. He succumbed to the sin of pride, lack of faith, disobedience, and it blinded him spiritually. So if you have started out well in leadership, make sure you continue. There's only one way, and that is to dwell in Jesus, to be led by his spirit, to give the glory to God. Start well, continue well, and finish well. As Paul could say, I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. Therefore, there awaits for me the crown of righteousness. Leadership is about call, being called by God, called sometimes through other people, and it is about commitment to Christ. 
I want to finish with a prayer of John Wesley, renowned evangelist from several hundred years ago, absolutely committed to the gospel of Christ, started the Methodist Church, and he has given us a beautiful prayer of leadership and discipleship. It's about surrender. And so I want to pray this prayer over all of you today, whether you are a leader, a believer, whether you are thinking about whether you will follow Jesus or not, whether you are thinking about giving your heart to Jesus, this prayer of surrender. Let us pray. In this moment, ask God to give you the word that he wants you to take from this service this morning. A word that will sustain you through this week. A word that will sustain you in your leadership and your life. And now I pray this prayer. God, I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticised for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. May God's blessing be on each one of you. Amen.